And let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to Acts chapter 8, if you would please. Acts in chapter number 8. Acts chapter 8, verse number 26 is where we are. Acts, what did I say? Chapter 8? That's right, yeah. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Last time we were in Acts, uh, we saw how that Peter preached in Samaria across cultural boundaries because the gospel is intended to go cross-culturally. And uh, that may mean that missionaries like the Pembertons uh, just had an email from him uh, this past week. 110 degree weather right there in India. So um, Oklahoma's sounding pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Supposed to get up to about 120, I believe, within the next month. So some serious heat and uh, some major cultural differences. But you know, the gospel's got to go to the ends of the earth and all around. And so that's right. So that's what Philip did. He preached the gospel. People were saved. A man named Simon uh, made a profession of faith. Difficult to weigh out. Was this a true profession, a, a true salvation or not? Uh, but if it was, he was deeply entrenched in his old ways and he wanted power and and, you know, and it was just a reminder. I hope it's, it um, soaked in or sunk in a little bit last uh, week that, you know, even when we see people saved, there's old ways of life that are deeply entrenched in them, old ways of um, their lifestyles or by way of religious thinking, that it may take some time for them to get away from it. And so what we're to do is lovingly, patiently, but deliberately uh, work to help them grow. And get stable and solidified. So that was that was Peter's. Uh, I'm sorry, Philip's work. It was it was a work to a multitude that had some one-on-one -on -one implications. We're going to see that tonight. I'm entitling the message tonight this: the tracker, the tracker, the subtitle: a revival of one-on-one -on -one evangelism, a revival of one-on-one -on -one evangelism. I believe God may be. Uh, Stirring us up for some a revival of some one-on-one evangelism, soul winning. Yeah. I pray that that would be the result of this. If we read this and let it speak to our hearts, I believe it will encourage us in that way. So chapter 8, verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, and to the way that go, goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert and he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship this individual, this man did. Well, verse 28 tells us he was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. It's out of Isaiah 53. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shears, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip, 
and said, I pray thee of whom speak, speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip, <laughs> that's all it took right there, wasn't it? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he said, answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into, into the water. So evidently that was by immersion. Because if you're just going to sprinkle someone, you don't have to go down into the water. Or if you're going to pour, you don't have to go down into the water. But if you're going to immerse someone, you've got to be in water. Going too deep for anybody? Okay. Sorry. All right. What verse were we on? Oh, yeah, verse 38. Both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. He immersed him. In fact, the word itself means immerse. And so he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. It's a soul winner. He was a deacon. He was a, uh, not one of the apostles. That's okay. You, can, you don't have to be called to full-time ministry to minister. He was a soul winner. He cared about people. And he was spirit-led. We're going to see how the spirit led him here tonight um, from this reading. So may God bless the reading of his word. As you're seated, we'll get into the message this evening. In the long-running American television series, The Lone Ranger, the black and white version, remember that? It's good stuff. Jay Silverhills, better known as Tonto, right? He was an expert tracker, as many of the Native American Indians were, the scouts and trackers, famous trackers in American history. So he could uh, tell which way they went, and they'd track them down. Right? Always found them. He could tra track a snake on a rock. Right? You know, uh, American history is actually pretty filled. I don't know a lot about this, but just uh, what I've read here and there. Famous scouts, trackers. In fact, the United States military has used uh, Native American trackers at various points in time of our history. And recently, I was interested to find this. I was just looking for a sermon illustration. Really? And uh, about trackers and how they've been used? Well, of course, Indians, you know, have, have shared their skills in tracking with colonists, you know, since the 1600s and, and uh, later Americans, uh, of course. Um, and they've tra they have passed down their skills, whatever tribe. Uh, many of them have passed down those skills to subsequent generations of Native American Indians and even to some white men along the way, and their abilities to track. 
But I came across an article, just, um, just a brief time of researching this. I didn't want to get too carried away with it because it wasn't what the message was about. Um, but I came across an article that was rather interesting called Shadow Wolves, Native, American in, uh, Native Americans Tracking Al-Qaeda from 2007. Now, I didn't know this. Some of you may have known this, but uh, April the 6th uh, was this article. when it's date, dated uh, 2007. Uh, let me just read a few excerpts from it. It's very interesting. You can do more research later on. It's not the message. To a shadow wolf, the landscape is a book. Uh, these Native American Indians have had, had their tracking skills passed down to them from generation to generation. Tracks tell them whether or not a person is carrying a load, how tall they are, how fast they are moving, how long ago they passed. Once the trail is located, they follow it with very few errors. They're looking for, of course, snapped twigs. You ever try to do this as a kid? Him go this way, right? That's what you'd say, right? But usually that's not how he went. But these Native American Indians, I'm telling you, it's amazing. Scuffed dirt, hair snagged on a branch, few fibers left on a dry brush. So that was years and years ago. But listen to this. Since, 19, since the early 1970s, Native American Indians have used ancient tracking and hunting skills to track drug smugglers crossing into our country. And more recently, people smugglers in the deadly uh, Sonoran um, Desert, New Mexico, Arizona, Baja California, that area, the southern part of uh, California. And they've managed to capture millions, perhaps billions of dollars worth of contraband and serve as a vital part of today's homeland security. It's kind of interesting. Uh, then it goes on. Despite the advent of new ter- uh, technology like infrared cameras, motion detectors, spy drones, yep. the Border Patrol has uh, grown to truly respect the abilities of the Native American Indian. There's a growing realization among security experts that their skills are also ideal for tracking humans who manage to slip through that new technology. A few years ago, the Pentagon sent the Shadow Wolves to uh, Tajikistan and Uzbekistan, border states to Afghanistan, among other countries, and there they trained. These trackers, Native American trackers, trained border guards to look for the same signs they use in the desert in America, in, in uh, surrounding, surrounding mountains, a skill used, they will use to track down terrorists and other bad guys hiding in the forbidden backcountry. That's pretty interesting that in our modern day and time, Tonto is tracking down terrorists. I like it. I don't mean that in the wrong way, but I'm just saying those Native American skills have been passed down in tracking. Well, obviously tonight we are not here to discuss that type of tracking. But there's another kind of tracking that needs to go. And I'm not trying to make a stretch here, but, but this, is, uh, this is very important. There's another type of tracking that needs to go from one generation to another generation. From one generation of Christians to another generation of Christians. And that's tracking lost people. To care for them. To help them. In Acts chapter 8, we have the account of Philip. He's following one man. He doesn't know who he's following. 
So I submit to you tonight that the real tracker was not Philip. There's someone else tracking this, this Ethiopian eunuch. God himself. God tracked you down, didn't he? He tracked you down, my friend. Maybe you were five years old in a Bible school, but he tracked you down. Maybe you were a teenager and he tracked you down. Maybe you're a college age or maybe you're an older adult. Maybe you're already married and with kids and family. But God had a way of tracking you down. Thank God he's still in the process of tracking people down to this very day. And he is an expert at it. And wants to share with us his skill and ability to, to track people down for good. For good. Yep. God was tracking this man down. And he led Philip to a one-on-one soul-winning opportunity. Philip went from preaching the gospel to groups in cities and villages to sitting across the chariot from a man in a desert in a remote place. It's beautiful. Um, Brother uh, Sam Davison, in his message on this same passage, he noted it this way. The three essentials of personal or, or one-on-one evangelism were, are these. You've got to have a man, the eunuch. You've got to have some other man, a Philip. And you've got to have a message about the man, the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to have a sinner. You've got to have a soul winner. You've got to have the message about the Savior. That's all you need for soul winning. Yep. It's good. And the eunuch even had his own Bible and was able to use it in uh, being led to Christ. Well, Philip was... He was obedient to go when God told him to go. Let's look back at this passage and see some of the particulars of it. Uh, It says here in verse number 26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go, go towards the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. You might, you know, if if you're there, you might be thinking, What in the world do I have business going that way? That's That's just remote territory. Hey, God knows what he's after. God knows who he's after. And God said, I want you to go that way. And here's what Philip did. He just simply obeyed. He just simply obeyed. And when he went, he found a eunuch. It says, and behold, a eunuch. It was like it was out of place for Philip or it was a little bit of a surprise. But here was this Ethiopian man that was on his way back down to Ethiopia. So he would have been on that, uh, on that journey, which, by the way, was a rather lengthy journey. And would take a considerable amount of time. But this man had come to Jerusalem. The Bible tells us to worship And so uh, I thought about having Brother Jonathan uh, Switzer come up and to give us insights on Ethiopians and uh, having lived there and and, uh, ministered to people there. But there's a lot of idolatry in the land, a lot of paganism still yet in the land. And so, but this man evidently was a God-fearing man. He was a Gentile, but nonetheless, he had converted to Judaism. And so he came to Jerusalem to worship. The Bible says that he was, as you see there in verse number uh, 27 again, if you'll notice this, and a, a eunuch of great authority, a eunuch of great authority. And so this would have been like uh, the second hand man. I mean, he would have been the, uh, a man of great uh, significance in his society, a dominant figure under the leadership of the queen there of Ethiopia. Most uh, likely he was a black man, but I want to thank God that the gospel goes to every man, no matter what his race. Because really, there's, as we mentioned last week, and it bears hitting again, there's really only one race, and that's the human race. And so God uh, took the gospel to this black gentleman, this Ethiopian, who was uh, in the higher ranks there and had significance. He was the treasurer, as it says there. He was in charge of all her treasure, which would have been quite, quite significant. 
He had some time to go to Jerusalem, and so he did not practice the idolatry of his land, but he worshipped the true God in that sense, and yet he was lost, just like Saul was lost, and others that were religious were lost. Hey, listen, God cares about people who are religious, but religiously lost, and he wants to work to bring them to Christ. So the Spirit told Philip to go and to join himself unto him. It says that this man was returning from his journey. He was sitting in his chariot and he read from Isaiah. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. In verse number 30, it says that Philip ran thither to him. He ran to him as he's on his uh, journey there. And he read, he heard him read from Isaiah. And he, and he asked him, now, do you understand what you're reading? And this man was honest, and he said, you know, I don't understand exactly what I'm reading. How can I accept some man should guide me? Well, it made those words just kind of resonate with us and echo with us, you know, because there's a lot of people still that maybe are reading the Bible, but they don't understand it, and they need somebody who will help them. Unfortunately, here's what happens often, church. This is sad. There's a lot of people who are wanting some answers, but they turn to all the wrong places. And then there's some religious outfits or groups that are out there that, that are not telling them the way of truth, but are deceiving them. And they'll send out their pamphlets and ask, you want to hear about the truth? And, and really, it's not the truth they'd hear about there. Unfortunately, it's lies. Somebody with the truth needs to go and show them, show them the truth. And so he said, do you understand what you read? And, and he said, I read here out of Isaiah 53, as he had his scroll and he was reading this, that... And let's read his words once again, if you would please, in verse number 32. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shear, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. In other words, what that's saying is that he was treated unrighteously, unjustly, the way that this individual died. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch read this and he understood that it was a time of suffering for the individual. But here was his question. Of whom speaketh the prophet? Is this about himself? Is this about Isaiah? Or is this about some other man? And that's when Philip began to preach unto him the Lord Jesus Christ. I asked uh, Trevor on the way home today, so what would you learn in Sunday school? He said, well, I learned in Sunday school, Brother Todd, Todd taught. The Todd Hahn, and then uh, during church time, Brother Zach Hudson taught about how that uh, I, uh, Abraham led Isaac up the mountain and how that there was a ram there that was a substitute for Isaac. And I said, well, son, explain to me what does that mean? And he very clearly explained how that Jesus died in our place. And he said, Dad, I even know what the mountain was called, Mount Moriah. So thank you, teachers. You're doing a great job. But the important truth is this is that every boy, girl, young person, adult needs to understand someone died in your place, my friend. Someone died. He was an innocent. It was the innocent dying for the guilty. And this Ethiopian began to understand that here's an innocent individual dying unjustly on behalf of the guilty and how that we all are transgressors. So who is he talking about? And Philip began to explain to him how that Jesus died in his place. And as they were traveling along and, and uh, making progress in their journey, and he preached to him, Jesus, I, we don't have all that he shared, but, but evidently this man had heard enough to understand that, that Jesus is the only way to salvation, and he was going to place his faith and trust in Lord Jesus Christ. And he'd also heard about baptism. 
Maybe during his time in Jerusalem and, and, and such, maybe he heard about individuals being baptized or preaching about baptism. We don't know how this man knew this, but this man knew, okay, I, I know we've got to have enough water to be baptized, and here's enough water. So what hinders us from being, me from being baptized? And Philip made, made it very clear that salvation must precede baptism. Salvation must precede baptism. And thus, baptism is not a part of a man's salvation. It shows that a man is saved. It does not save a man. A passage like this makes it abundantly clear. And so that's what, uh, that's what Philip made clear to this man. And the man made, made a confession of faith. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, is the Son of God and so Philip took the man down into the water and he was baptized. And the Bible says that he went away rejoicing. He didn't even see him any, anymore. They didn't cross paths again. As far as we know, this Ethiopian went on down, of course, back to Ethiopia. And there's some speculation, some history about what happened after that. And, and, but that would be somewhat sketchy. But, but what we do know is this. This man was saved and this man was baptized. And this man, as a result of that, went on his way rejoicing. He did. Yep. He was ready. He was ripe to be saved. And thank God there was a soul winner close by who was ready to share. Ready to be a, a soul winner. So we see from this passage a simple truth. This man, this Ethiopian eunuch, was saved and baptized because Philip followed God's leadership to explain the gospel to him as a one-on-one -on -one evangelist. You know, to this very day, individuals can be saved. They can be saved today and baptized if you will follow God's leadership to explain the gospel in a one-on-one -on -one evangelism setting. Can people be saved in a, in a group, in a, in a mass preaching time? Absolutely. Thank God for that. The gospel can be preached. It can be explained. The Spirit of God can take the message and apply it to the hearts. There's a place for that. But let's be reminded tonight. In fact, I believe it'd be right to say that we need a revival of it. And maybe even often a revival of it. That we need a revival of not just preaching to the crowds. But we need to have a revival of sitting across the table from somebody. And opening up your New Testament, or open up your Bible. In fact, you can lead somebody to Christ evidently from the Old Testament, as he did there. But we need a revival. We need to get back to just personal, one-on-one, -on -one, sitting down with somebody and leading them to Christ. Yeah. You say, well, you know, a lot of, a lot of times people have done wrong in, in soul-winning efforts. And they've, they've made it about, you know, how many they've led to Christ and... There's been some people who have, who have, uh, you know, uh, oh, they've, well, they've just done some things and come up with a scheme to just to get some results. But listen, listen, folks, the one-on-one -on -one way of evangelism still works today. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, and say, well, just because some have been, a, have abused and gone a wrong way in evangelism. Listen, it still works. It still works that we would sit down with somebody and explain the gospel. And listen, it may take more than one time. It may, now, in this situation, this man had been reading. We don't have all the background, but this man had, had some knowledge. He evidently had been studying the Old Testament. He was reading in Isaiah. And so this man had some background knowledge. Listen, we're, we're ministering in a day and time 
serving as soul winners when maybe we're going to have to take some extra times in sitting down with somebody to make sure of this, to make sure that they understand the gospel. We've got to make sure that. Now, listen, it's a matter between them and God, but God wants to use us. He wants to use us. He wants to use you. I, I want you to consider tonight, am I being the, the soul winner? Am I being the evangelist? You say, well, I thought evangelist was somebody that traveled the country and, and uh, had a motor home and preached in meetings. No, an evangelist biblically is somebody that shares the gospel and sees somebody saved. That could be you. And, and you need to be a soul winner. And it may be that you were at one time... But you kind of got away from it. You know what you need? A revival. Get back to soul winning. Get back out on the street. Get back out uh, in talking to people. And, and it's going to take some effort. Philip had to run. I'm not saying that we run house to house. But I'm saying we go where God tells us to go. Okay, here's how it works. God's going to prompt your heart, no doubt, this week. If you're sensitive to God, He'll prompt your heart somehow, somewhere, sometime this week. And have somebody... Watch this. This is the providential hand of God here, isn't it? How that God had Philip at the right place at the right time and the Ethiopian eunuch at the right place at the right time, had him reading in his Bible at the right place at the right time. Listen, we serve a God who's a providential God who's at work in people's lives. And one of the most exciting things you'll ever, as a believer, one of the most exciting ventures that you'll ever be involved in is to be involved in trying to track people down for the gospel. For the gospel. Yep. And to care about people. It may be that you need to have a revival of keeping a list of people that you're working on. And just monitoring that list and with phone numbers and, and uh, addresses as you would deal with people about the gospel and keeping track of them. Could I say it that way? Tracking them down for the sake of the gospel. Looking for those opportunities. It might be that you need to join the Fishers of Men Outreach. And learn. You know, here's one thing I see about, about Philip. He was spirit-led. He was eager. He was ready. He was ready with the gospel. He was ready to share what the Bible said. And watch this. He was open to their questions. You see, evangelism, you know, doesn't just go one way, but it, we need to listen to what people are asking. And because this man's asking a great question, is this man talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? Now, I realize sometimes when we're, we're in soul winning opportunities, somebody's going to ask some weird question just to try to get you off track. And in those cases, you just come back and preach Jesus. And, and you know, and they're wanting to know, can God create something that's too big for him to pick up? And that's just weird questions. You just stay focused on the gospel and watch God work in the heart. We need to follow God's leadership in tracking people down. It's going to mean uh, being ready. It's, I believe it's going to mean this, praying for the lost. Asking God to speak to their hearts. It means going cross-culturally. You know, here's one thing I find about Philip. He was not intimidated. This was a man of authority, but he spoke to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not intimidated in sharing Christ. It means getting past personal problems to be involved in helping someone else come to Christ. What are those personal problems? You know, in a lot of ways, it may be fear. 
when you go to share the gospel with someone, is there maybe a tinge of fear there? I think there is for all of us. In fact, to be honest with you, sometimes I get more nervous getting ready to go door knocking and talking to people that way than I do getting ready to preach. Yep. There can be some fear there. So it could be getting past that. But getting past some problems that may be hindering you and hindering the proclamation of the gospel, just like Philip was facing, you know, they were facing persecution, they were facing danger at that time and, and uh, trouble from the Pharisees and Sadducees and different individuals. But, but here's what he did. He just kept following God. And the God called him away to go here. God called him then to go there. And, and he just preached up that coast and he stopped up off at, at uh, Caesarea. And we'll pick back up with Philip in chapter uh, 21 of, of the Gospel of Acts. And he just keeps going with the Gospel despite the problems. And so uh, it may be tonight God is just wanting you to, to take this same opportunity. And God might be putting somebody on your heart right now I want you to go and speak to them. Will you go? Every one of us need to be a personal soul winner. It's not for a select few. It's for the whole church. For the whole church. I believe this is what it's going to take. It's going to take a shift in our thinking that we're, number one, this way. It's not just for a few. It's for all. It's for me. Would, would you think about that tonight? Personal Soul winning is a, is a personal matter. You need to be personally involved in it. You say, well, I never have before. That's okay. Get with someone who has and let them show you how and go out with them and, and let them show you around and how to use the Bible and such. There, there's going to be some education, no doubt, in that. But, but you ought to be a soul winner. Okay? That's a shift in thinking. Another shift in thinking would be this. A lot of times we, we approach evangelism in handing out tracts, and we should. I, I do a, a fair share of that and try to, and inviting people to the church services. But really, evangelism is to take place out there. Now, can we invite people to come here and then hear a gospel message and be saved? Thank God it happens weekly, and, and that's a blessing. But there may need to be a shift in our thinking that our efforts are not just to be within here in these walls, but it's out there. Where you live and where you work. That's where the opportunities are. Philip didn't stay in Jerusalem. Philip didn't stay in Samaria. Philip went and God said, here, I want you to go down here to uh, the south part, south of Jerusalem here on your way down towards uh, Egypt. Just go that way. And Philip followed. Now, I'm not saying tonight that, okay, God's telling you, just start out down towards Texas. And somebody will be, well, there will be somebody there for sure. But, but what I'm saying is simply this, be sensitive to God's leadership. The only thing I regret about soul winning is that I did not start earlier. Teenagers... You could have an exciting teenage life by being a personal soul winner in your school or among your friends. I wish that I had started when I was in the seventh and eighth grade. God, I wish that I had started in the ninth grade. I, God helped me to see the need and to start witnessing and try to be a soul winner at, at my public high school when I was in the tenth grade. And those were some exciting years. But I wish I'd started earlier. Anybody else here that way? Well, listen, we can't change the past, but what you can do is start right now. Say, God, give me, a, give me a heart 
for souls. Lord, give me a, give me a passion to share the gospel. God, put someone in my way. You know, Philip was just going about and doing what God had called him to do. He's going everywhere preaching the gospel. Are you? It's, it's a privilege. It's an honor. It's an opportunity to, to be involved and to try to see somebody saved. And, and you know, uh, I'm, I'm so thankful that even just yesterday, I had an opportunity. It's been kind of a busy little stretch here. And I, I think we're all going to have those times where you, you have a busy stretch and such. But it was so refreshing just to get back out on the street yesterday and talk to some folks that had come back in, back in March, but to sit there and, and uh, talk with them. And some were here even today. And but just to be on people's doorstep. Hey, listen, that's not just for the preacher. That's for everybody. All God's people. Think what could happen. I, I truly believe that this Oklahoma City area and this church could be very inter- instrumental in it. That this Oklahoma City area could be reached in a major way if ones would go one-on-one. Look around here tonight. Quite a few ones. Out there, there's a bunch of one men, one women, one lady, one, one man from Africa, one man from Mexico, one man from wherever, one man from Oklahoma. And here, here you are. What do we need to see personal evangelism work? A person that's a sinner who's hearing from someone who's a saved individual about a Savior who will save anybody. You're one. I'm one. Everyone in here is one. You're saved tonight. You have not just an opportunity, you have a responsibility to go one-on-one with the gospel. In evangelism, this is a unique situation. Philip was just with him for a very brief time. What if Philip had said, you know, I think I'll do that maybe tomorrow. That man would have been long gone. You know, there may be some times when God just... Uh, intersects your life with another person's life, and it may just be momentary. Uh, Maybe that you're traveling and you just have an opportunity to talk to him for a little while. You may never see him again, but a lot of folks that live right here in this area, we can follow back up on them and track them down and uh, look for evidence that they need the gospel. We could be trackers. There was a generation before us in many ways that I believe that in terms of soul winning, there was that soul winning zeal and fervor. You with me here tonight? There was. There was that soul winning zeal. It translated into bus ministries and it translated into people out knocking doors and it translated into people caring about people. I'm, I'm talking about a, a generation and maybe if I just name a few names, you'd understand who I'm talking about, like a John R. Rice and a, a Curtis Hudson and some individuals there that were soul winners and cared about people. In fact, Curtis Hudson said this, this generation of saved individuals is responsible for this generation of lost individuals. So now our generation of saved is responsible for this generation of lost. What are we doing? Are we as zealous, are we as single-minded about soul winning? Or in some ways has that just become a relic of the past? I know where I am tonight. I know we're in a church where, you know, the bus ministry is is going and all those things. And when many people are letting it go and... And many of you are soul winners, I know that. But listen, I don't believe tonight that we're all doing it. I believe we're missing some opportunities here. 
I believe that we could really see some people saved and baptized in deep water and, and see them grow. But here's what it's going to take. Some people running. Some individuals like you running after somebody. God says, I want you to chase them down. You know what you ought to do? Run. Go. And then when he says, okay, now I want you to go here and go. And then here and go and keep going. And I'm telling you, this thing could just get exciting. We've had such a steady stream of guests these last several months. And there's some evidence that there's people coming who need salvation. And they need their life to be stabilized and things different. And, And what's really needed is a church full of passionate people that are passionate for Christ, a church full of personal soul winners. Tonight, you're probably going to maybe go somewhere to eat. You know, as you're there, it's going to be somebody around you who needs the gospel. Tomorrow morning, God gives us another day, be somebody at work that you can talk to. Be somebody down the street. Now we have modern technology, but we need to get back to some old-fashioned tracking. Because all of our technology is letting a few people slip by, and we're missing some opportunities. We just need to get back to some old-fashioned ways that really is not old-fashioned as much as it is this in the Bible, timeless. For the Christian, personal soul winning, which by the way is not to stop short of seeing the gospel and, and, and the uh, Great Commission going full circle. Because it's not just that we're to see them saved, but we are to see them baptized, and we are to see them growing in the Lord, being taught. And that's going to take some effort. And it's more than just what a small group can do. It's every individual. That doesn't mean everybody has to come out for personal evangelism on Tuesday night or Saturday. Those are great times. We need those organized times to get organized to go out. But if you can make those times, those are great times because you can encourage one another and there's great fellowship and, and uh, that takes place in those times. But, but in, in addition to that, there's got to be times throughout the week when we're just thinking about people. Thinking about the Lord will cause you to think about people and will put you on somebody's trail. To track them down for the gospel. Who are you tracking? Who are you tracking? I want to ask you to consider tonight at least one person. And maybe you don't even have anybody's name in mind. But maybe just tonight you could pray and be open to it and say, God, would you help me to see an opportunity this week at least to give a track. And maybe to share my salvation testimony. Or maybe even to share the gospel with that person and see them saved. God, would you, would you help me to watch for one individual this week and see what God does? I'm sure he's going to say, run. They're everywhere. Go. Let's stand tonight. <clears throat> Are you sensitive to God's leadership? Are you eager, as was Philip, to take the gospel? Are you ready? There might be some here tonight who'd say, Brother Gaddis, I'll be honest. I, if somebody asked me how to be saved, I'm not sure how to lead them through 
a gospel presentation. It'd be wonderful if you spoke with someone about that and got some training on it. Are you willing to explain what you've been blessed to know? Father, tonight, I believe we do need a revival of personal soul winning. Lord, there can be a lot of things that can distract us and cause our attentions to be diverted to various things. And all the while, we're missing opportunities. Oh, God, would you help us not to miss your leadership? I see how you led Philip, and I realize a transitional time in what you were doing there. But some of these things transcend time. It's timeless. It comes right into where we live right here today. And there's folks about us, I pray that you'd help us to be a church full of soul winners, God. Not to have the name of a soul winning church, but in all actuality and practice to be a soul winning church that would be going and taking the gospel to the lost. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.